Hello and welcome to the Light Reading Podcast. My name is Phil Harvey. I'm an editor here at Light Reading. I'm Kelsey Sizer, and I am also an editor at Light Reading. And how do I know that's really you and not some AI-generated facsimile that's trying to take over my podcast? Uh, because North Carolina is better than South Carolina. That's how you know it's me. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, I always ask you that, don't I? AI um, Kelsey would be like, whatever. Yeah, I know. All the Carolinas are equal. <laughs> Both states have their, you know, advantages and disadvantages. They're like... I love all the states. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what, uh, what, uh, how, uh, well, I'm glad we can tell, but, but soon we won't be able to tell. So until then, we should, we should probably, uh, uh, we should probably lean on people like our guest today, uh, Scott Cadzo, who is, uh, with Etsy and he's in, um, I don't exactly know what group we'll link to it in the thing. And of course, we'll, we'll correctly label him in the, uh, uh, in the media file. But he is part of the Etsy effort to help put some standardized um, uh, behavior around uh, artificial intelligence use in uh, uh, in telecom networks and in networks in general. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he talked a lot about uh, just how the media and folks in general have kind of demonized uh, AI to a degree uh, and just Etsy's efforts to make sure people have a better understanding of what AI can and can't do, um, what the kind of correct parameters are for it to function accurately and, you know, why it's important to have uh, the correct data backing the AI and also make sure that the, the security and privacy uh, concerns are accounted for there as well. So we, yeah, we, we talked a lot about a lot <laughs> concerning AI and, and making sure that it's uh, accurate and, uh, you know, working correctly. Yeah, indeed. And what I like about um, the discussion was that a lot of it w sort of uh, kept coming back to generally common sense principles about, um, you know, building good products and building good services and treating your customers well and not using things without telling, you know, using their data without telling them and that sort of thing. So it's it's the it's the same principles we always deal with in the in the technology space. But I, I appreciate that folks like Scott are trying to, before we get too far ahead of ourselves, sort of say, yes, this does need to profit. It does need to lead to more commercial products so we can continue to improve it. But that can't come at the expense of uh, good usage behavior, uh, good data security, uh, and, and an eye toward keeping consumer information private. And we had such a, you know, bad time of this and still do with social media, you know, people just putting profit ahead of everything else that I think people are naturally a little more skeptical of AI than maybe even they, you know, than they should be because of uh, the raw deal that we got during, uh, uh, you know, all the social media services when they first sort of cropped up. So, uh, so I'm really happy that he, he was on the podcast to lend some perspective and to kind of, uh, uh, you know, talk us down, so to speak. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I think with that, we can dive right in. Sounds good. All right, Scott Katzo, welcome to uh, the Light Reading Podcast. Thanks for joining You're us. Welcome. Yeah. Good to talk to you. Good to talk yeah. to you as well. Yeah. Good to have you on. 
Um, so as we get going, um, tell us a little bit about yourself, your role at Etsy, and how long you've been focused on AI. Um, well, I've been focused on AI since it started, so you know, before I was born, obviously. Um, I mean, because AI's <laughs> been around forever. That's that's really it's impressive. Time traveler for those of you who are just joining the podcast. It's not official. Um, the, the the main point. I mean, I at Etsy, I do a lot of standards around security, um, and AI is one of those topics that has been hanging around for a long, long period of time. Um, it's gone through so many variations as we've as we've gone through it, and it's become much more in the focus. It's becoming the zeitgeist nowadays, partly because of the the political concerns about manipulation of data and manipulation of of voter intent. Particularly, I mean, if you look at both the, the US election a few years ago and, and recent elections in the UK, um, there's been huge amounts of press about the concerns related to AI manipulating people and, and chatbots and you know, voting bots and all sorts of stuff. And in some respects, that, that kind of idea is not terribly old um, or terribly new. It's been around for a long time about how you manipulate people. Um, but now we're doing it with machines to help us and do it slightly more quickly. And that's where we've been working. So we've been looking at how do you secure things in general? Um, and AI is just another thing we have to secure. We have to understand. We have to be able to build the appropriate structures to allow people to regulate it, allow people to understand it. And one of our main jobs in, in the sort of standards domain is to move people off the fear and make it just appear like something normal. And, and try and work out how we can deal with normality in, in the AI domain or in the software domain. So you can actually start people to think about, let's not get worried about it. Let's start to integrate it and start to think about it in a normal way, if that makes sense. So back to the start of the question, I've been doing this for about 25, 30 years, but AI much more focused in the last three or four years. What, what makes, right. oh, go ahead. Yeah, sorry. that's. I was just going to say that's a really good point that there's um, a lot of um, fear and, and misunderstanding, I think, around AI and, uh, you know, offline, you and I talked a little bit about how Hollywood and, and the media kind of uh, perpetuate some of those misconceptions yeah. as well as, um, you know, all the way back to the, we always joke about the Terminator yeah. and, and Skynet being online, so... That, that I think stuck oh, with wait, everyone. Yeah, and, and if you go oh, back shoot. a few years, no, you right. uh, <laughs> sorry to burst yeah, your yeah, bubble, no, I Phil. That. <laughs> I thought that was all real. Hold on a minute. Let me. Let me yeah. I'm well, you look go back a few stuff. years, even Kubrick's 2001 had it. You know, so um, you know, with with Hal, I mean, Hal was an AI. And, yeah. And what against? Uh, and obviously, you know, James Cameron and Terminator series and all the rest. Yeah, you know, it's been there in our in our media for a long, long period of time. Um, and manipulation and, and thoughts have been around the robot environment. I mean, the robot environment goes back to what, 1880 or something. Mm -hmm. I mean, the first use of it, of the word robot was in the you know, early 19, 1900s. So it's been around a long, long period of time. Now it's becoming to the point where computing is caught up and, our, and, and social media is caught up essentially. The whole, ICT world, you know, internet, telecoms, um, the way that people interact with each other. COVID was a huge impetus for this as well, because suddenly you're in online all the time. And, you know, you're much more manipulated. Before COVID, 
you know, people actually had a life outside. Uh, I'm not sure they have that anymore. So it's right. kind of getting that those kind of social changes have all come to a head, and AI is kind of the the big demon that everyone's trying to fight against. And from a standards point of view, and from a security point of view, we are trying to de-demonize it, and it, and it's fairly straightforward to do that at a rational level. But a lot of the thinking around AI is irrational, and that's our 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 fight. Yeah, the uh, thing I would worry about the most, and I think a lot of the uh, service providers in our audience are concerned about is, is what precautions does one have to take to protect the data that's, uh, that's uh, exchanged, uh, you know, in, in, in an AI application or an AI service? To an extent, that's just, you know, normal everyday due diligence is the kind of thing you do. I mean, like if you're, yeah. if you only get one book as your source, then you're going to be wholly based on that book. And what we're trying to do is make sure that we're not dominated by single sources. So if you've got, I don't know, Mein Kampf is your source or, or the Bible, the Quran is, is your source, then you're going to be slightly influenced by those single sources. Whereas if you have a, a very liberal reading agenda, then you're much more likely to think. So it's making sure we make AI are the, the tools we use behind AI not fixated on single sources, um, mm -hmm. that we can do enough filtering to make sure that you're not getting bias. Um, although some cases bias is essential. Um, you know, in the health environment, um, you've got to be biased in some cases. You know, some diseases only happen to certain ethnicities, some diseases only happen right. to certain genders. Um, so you've got to be aware of that. So it's getting knowledge into the system before you apply the AI processing. Because AI processing of itself isn't actually intelligent. It doesn't know that it's got the wrong sources. It doesn't know it's got bias. It doesn't know it has inappropriate weighting. Uh, what we're trying to do is find ways to make the system clearer, make it much more transparent. So a lot of the work we've done is on um, transparency and explicability, trying to be able to get the AI Obviously, it's there for a start, so you know it's, it's, it exists, but also make clear what it's doing with the data, why it's doing it, um, so people can make value judgments. Um, and that's the difficulty, um, because if you want to use it to make people, you don't want to make it visible and expl explainable, but that's what we're trying to do, and trying to get that understanding in, into the public, in general public, in any way. Um, your your mm -hmm. comment about data in general was was... You know, very, uh, very insightful. What I'm, what I was trying to figure out is sort of like if you're, um, you know, telcos are in possession of lots of customer data, and they want yeah. to act on that customer data in order to uh, provide better services, but also, let's be honest, sell stuff. Um, yeah. So, what's the best? You know, what are what are some uh, overall suggestions or recommendations to? those companies that are going to be sort of, you know, having customer data that they want to protect and anonymize, but at the same time, they want to be active. They're going to be actively using it, you know, in, in their commercial proper, you know, their commercial services and that sort of thing. And I think as, as a customer too, that's, that's what kind of makes me nervous. Yeah. I mean, ultimately that you're getting part of your service for, or part of the payment you make for service is giving away your soul, essentially. Right. <laughs> um, and what the, the 
operators have to be very careful about is making sure they write the contracts that allow them to use the data in a reasonable way. And it's all about reasonableness. It's not about, we don't want to give absolutes, you shall do this, you shall do, and you shan't do that. We want to give general guidance, you know, so make sure you get the consent um, and understand, get people to understand what they're signing up to. Um, and most people don't do that very well. Most contracts are written in favor of the, of the people who want to use the data. That's something we've got to try and legislate for. Um, in a standards environment, we'll try and make sure you have the tools to at least understand the purpose the data is being used for. But ultimately it comes down to uh, people lobbying for fair contracts and fair use of data. And that's something outside the standards domain. But once you've got that, we can use the tools to help identify where you're breaching those contracts, where you're breaching those rules. Uh, but at the end of the day, if somebody wants a thousand dollar a month service and don't want to pay a thousand dollars, they essentially take thousand dollars in, in, in your flesh or, or your personality, how you're using the service. And, right. and that's the yeah. trade-off you've got to be accepted, you've got to pay. These things don't think, come for free and somebody has to make money somewhere to, to offer the service. I think that's a great point too, because it, it is um, the, the nature of a lot of service provider and network services. Cause it's like, you know, obviously they're going to be using, like I said, using it to sell stuff uh, on the one side, you know, upgrades, things like that. The other use for service providers, especially is of the, uh, I would say less scary, uh, but, and, and, but very beneficial thing of um, knowing where you are and what you're doing so they can make sure you're completely connected, that your service doesn't go down, that it's got the highest quality of service, you know, based on what you paid for. Yeah. And, and that if your traffic suddenly gets interrupted by some physical externality that you had nothing to do with, like, you know, uh, fiber was cut somewhere or something like that, that they reroute the traffic smartly and do those sorts of things. Yeah. AI is definitely going to be a huge player in that realm. Yeah. So, um, also so yeah, the, I can, I can see it working on multiple dimensions there. Go ahead. Yeah. If you think of like, if suddenly something like Netflix puts out a, a you know, broadcast something or, or puts on its service, something that everyone wants to watch. Um, suddenly the, the network operators have to, to change the bandwidth. They have to, to work with Netflix as an operator to make sure they've got the data service at the right point. Again, you've got, if you're, if you're looking at certain domains, like um, the Apple domain, for example, when you're moving your, you're walking out of the house, you take it off your Mac and onto your, onto your iPad and then onto your phone, um, the service follows you. And that, that is a huge impact and knowing how that works knowing how people are doing things. And a few years ago, we just did that by, by very careful network planning. We went through the broadcaster's guides and said, oh, well, there's a football match or, or something big on, so we're going to have a, right. a peak in viewing. And then there's going to be, like in, in football, in the U or soccer, as you call it, um, you'll have half time and suddenly everyone goes and switches the kettle on to make a cup of tea or something. They do that in the UK. Right. Um, so you've got to then interact with the, the power system, the power utilities, to make sure they've got, can cope with that demand. And you can predict that demand. And that becomes, you know, 10, 15 years ago, that was quite straightforward to do. But with thousands more services, much more in the way of, of demographics of how people are communities of users, um, they're much more widespread. They're often much bigger. But whereas, you know, 10, 15 years ago, you would have, a football match and to be watched by a few million people in one country and now that could be a few million people spread across the globe and you've got to use 
AI is the only thing that's going to give you the, the timeliness of that um, network planning and network assessment and network optimization. And that's a lot of the stuff we're trying to do. And an awful lot of the AI that will be developed will be in that kind of menu. That will be, it won't be customer facing. It won't be the, the image manipulation and chatbots and all the rest. It will be things that make your car react better to road surface. It makes your, right. um, your network much more able to give you the bandwidth where you need it, when you, when you need it. It will be things like making sure you can get power at the right time or the right place. All those things are going to be hidden behind us, but they'll be AI driven. And then the, the fringe on top, the stuff that people get worried about are the you know, manipulation by you know, chatbots and, and image manipulation and things like that. And they'll be much more obvious, I think, because people become much better at recognizing those kind of manipulations. Um, that's something mm -hmm. uh, that we've been having since you know the essentially the industrial revolution trying to teach people how technology works and right. you know also we are at the sort of guys like me are we're at the front end of this we we are are fairly knowledgeable about technology we fairly have a fairly good understanding of its potential uh, we don't often design design that potential but we are kind of ahead of the curve we don't tend to get quite so scared whereas people who are possibly less educated, slightly behind the curve in terms of when that technology comes available, can get much more scared of it. Um, and they either have that um, Savo reputation of, of, of trying to break the technology and not use it, or the Luddite type approach where they just are, you know, will not use it because it's, it's nasty and new. And, and we've got to try and educate people. So a large part of what we're, we also have to do is educate people about, basically about technology in general, and not, again, not demonize it, not make out that AI is going out to steal their jobs. I mean, it will take some jobs, but then so did the plow. You know, the plow stopped you know, people having to go in the fields. You know, if you look at combine harvesters, you know, one combine harvester can do several hundred acres in a day where before you had thousands of people having to work in the fields. So those kind of things will come. Um, we've incorporated technology into our lives already. Um, we've been doing it successfully for hundreds of years. There's no reason AI should stop us being able to simulate technology and do it better. But as I say, the, the bulk of the technology will be hidden from view right. and it will do things that we actually want. And if you took it away, we'd tell you, oh, right, mm -hmm. my car doesn't work anymore. It didn't stop yeah. her from hitting that curb <laughs> right. or, you know, it didn't stop me crashing into the car in front. And well, I've got to do that myself now. No, don't want to do that. Give me back the technology. <laughs> And it's yeah. getting that balance right is going to be difficult, but we are working at it. Yeah. Yeah, I think those are, those are really great analogies. I like the idea of the, um, you know, making agriculture more efficient. I think we can all appreciate that we're not all have to be out in the fields, especially with this heat <laughs> wave right now, <laughs> you know, plowing away. But um so can you talk a little bit more about, uh, you know, what Etsy is doing specifically to um, address some of these uh, challenges around AI and kind of clarify what AI can and can't do and, and what kind of impact that that's going to have on the telecom industry? Um, well, I mean, what we started with, I mean, we started this group um, about four years ago, five years ago, um, and we start, the first thing we did really look at the problem. What was the problem with AI? Uh, and what were the threats that AI presented? And we looked at things like you know data poisoning, 
um, data supply chains, algorithms, you know, new computing models. And we're now looking much more into what are the things we need to add to data supply chains? What are the things we need to add to our computing platforms to make them much more intrinsically secure, not just for AI, but for, for computing in general? And that means things like um, how do we watermark um, models? How do we ensure that the model can't be stolen? How do we ensure that the model is doing an appropriate level of um, analysis and, and not going in, in the wrong direction? Um, and we want to make sure it comes much better at correlation and leads much more like causation. So the, the classic example which we tend to use is the the murder rate rising at the same rate as the this rate of sales of ice cream. Um, both go up at almost the same rate. And it's not because having an ice cream makes you want to go and kill somebody. It's just that when the weather's better, <laughs> usually yeah. it's the opposite. Yeah. Like calm you down. When the weather's good, people buy ice cream. That's what we do for Phil when he's yeah. angry. We just pass That's him an ice cream cone. Good. We're like, it's gonna but be okay. Most, I mean, what we want to stop is people making, using AI on inappropriate data, making wrong wrong assertions, and then making those assertions into fact. Um, and there, I've seen a paper today that's even suggested that consensus is fact. And I thought, well, that's not quite true. But the danger is if people don't understand data and people don't understand um, basically how intelligence works, they're going to make those mistakes. And what our job in the standards domain is first to understand that and then to write about how to make it rational and bring rationality. It's all about bringing rationality into the debate. And then we provide reasonable countermeasures that are not, a lot of these are things like, you know, don't use data without checking where it came from. Don't um, just accept the results of the processing without checking it's actually valid. You know, don't, don't just accept everything at face value. If you can get the engineers and designers to do that, then we can start to move on to teaching the end user, you know, like this is being well thought out, the, the data it's giving you ha has value because we can trust it. And we want to give something along the lines of some form of trust mark or um, credibility to, and that you can say this data with this, al this algorithm can be trusted in this environment and, and try and give people confidence in using it rather than just throwing technology at people where you'll get some love it, some hate it, and nobody trusts it. Yeah, I think user education is going to be huge for, for this because yeah. we've already seen such a big uh, problem with people who uh, would would question something if you just told them, but if they looked it up on chat GPT, they suddenly run with it like it's, like it's, but they don't know where the data came from. They don't know, yeah. you know, all we know is that it was stolen <laughs> at this point because yeah. they're not, you know, the, the, those companies don't seem to be using any constraints on how they're feeding uh, uh, their AI models. Um, so they're, they're rampant plagiarist, but at the same time, they're also not crediting anything or giving the end user any idea where the data came from. So there, so there's no, so there's a huge gap in the knowledge of, uh, you know, when you're going to use it. And I think that's why a lot of news organizations almost immediately said, um, and, and companies too said, don't, don't use this thing at work because it's, it's taking everything you're asking, you know, or, or, or put feeding into it 
and we don't know what's going to happen with that. And that, that to me does, uh, suggest that there's a, a lack of a standard approach to dealing with the data and a lack of a standard approach to, uh, things like disclosure and, uh, you know, crediting authors and things of that sort. Yeah. And that's kind of fundamental, but the, you've also got to balance that there's a commercial imperative. You need to make you know, all new technologies eventually have to, to reach break even point and eventually make a profit. So you can feed back into the next stage and AI is at that kind of tipping point. It's been in the R and D domain for a long time, and it's now reached that tipping point where it's becoming into the commercially useful domain. And the initial users of it are ones that are going to get lots of interest. Um, so, you know, ChatGTP is brilliant for what it does, but what it does is very restricted, but it be, it'll get better and better. And people are beginning to understand how to use it in a better and better way. Um, not in not a positive way, but they can use the base technology in a more constructive way. Um, yeah. And that constructive way might be destructive for some and might be constructive for others. And that's what we're trying to do is like, if the data is clearly marked as having where it's sourced from, um, you can use it and you can accredit it. But if it's not clearly marked where it comes from or what its original purpose for was for, then you would take it with a much lesser degree of, of trust and ideally you reject it altogether. I mean, we can't, as a standards body, say you shall reject anything which comes from an, an uncredited source. But as a standards body, we can at least give the framework that eventually it become, becomes de facto if it doesn't have um, the right security measures around it, doesn't have the right proofs around it, um, it becomes intrinsically untrustworthy. Um, people only get to market with trustworthy products, um, ultimately. And if we can get those stepping stones in place, we can start to get to the point we want to be at, which is AI as a tool for us as, as human beings that allow our lives to be better without leading into those doomed scenarios of, of what James Cameron's very good at writing about and, and making movies about. We want to soften that approach, use that technology effectively, guide people towards the right approach, and we'll build on that. I mean, where we are is we've done a lot of work, but there's a lot of work still to do because we're be although, as I say, the AI topic has been around for a long period of time, it's now in that rapid development curve where we're actually seeing changes almost daily. And we are just trying to keep at least abreast of the curve, if not slightly ahead of it. Our ideal position is to be ahead of it so we can actually start to control where that curve goes. Um, we were there a couple of years ago. We're now just about tagging along with it. Mm -hmm. um, so what, uh, I, I guess to wrap up a little bit, what are you kind of looking forward to um, next in terms of, um, I suppose, uh, either standards around AI or, or what you see AI being able to do? Um, you and I talked before about, um, you know, how it can eliminate some mundane jobs or even dangerous jobs. Um, so, so what are your, some of your thoughts there? I mean, my, my ideal for AI is that it becomes a, a tool that, I mean, as, as we suggested before, when we talked offline, uh, very much doing it for, for our overall good. So I mean, using AI in, in things like di diagnostic and therapeutic medicine, uh, using AI to allow uh, robots to take care of dangerous environments. I mean, years and years and years ago, I, I worked underground in mines, very deep mines. 
and the mines that I worked in had a, every mine head had a, a poster outside on the top of the mine saying how many injury-free days and how many fatality-free days they had in those deep mines. And often in, the figures were rarely in, in double figures. Um, so that was kind of important. So if we can get AI to allow us to put robots and machines which we can afford to lose into those environments, that'll be a huge a huge plus for humanity. I mean, we're, just, we're not going to lose people to silly things. We can use it for um, better parts of um, like diagnostic medicine, and we can treat pandemics before they become pandemics. We can identify causes much more quickly. Um, we can identify cancers before they become life-threatening. We can do all sorts of things. We can build in um, better control of of our crop rotation so we can actually understand better how soil and climate work together we can cope with the coming climate change uh, those are all positive things we can see and ai is going to be really important for that because we need to we'll understand more about data we'll build the data we'll build bigger and bigger models and a lot of what we're doing now is looking into how we're going to build the computing platforms the, the trust in the data um, and the ability to test it and one of our big challenges is essentially testing of AI and we're, we're moving quite strongly into that domain. How do we actually test the machines without building the machines? I mean, we want to test them before yeah. they become deployed um, so we can give knowledge of their um, their safety as opposed to just their security um, and their usefulness and do all that. But that, that leads us into the work we're going to be doing. So as I say, we've got some work we've just published, which is um, I've just been prompted to remind you about. Um, so we, we're doing a lot of new work. So we've just published a, work, a piece on um, trying to understand video manipulation, which is obviously one of those big topics that really people are really worried about. Um, yeah. you know, the, 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 the pasting of um false audio or false video um so you can misrepresent people we're now better understanding of how that's used so we can then find ways to to counter it but we don't want to stop it um you wouldn't have um what's that the, the james cameron's latest movies um all about avatar yeah avatar, oh, avatar? Yeah. avatar is there's no avatar there is no world like that it's all created in computers and it's all artificially or created by AI. We want to keep that going. We want to still entertain ourselves. We still want to, um, mm -hmm. although auto-tune for singing is, you know, real clashes in most people's ears, it's still used. Um, yeah. You prefer to have same people who can sing properly rather than uh, having to rely upon auto-tune. But that's a real-time AI capability. Um, you want to be able to use you know, garage band on your on your Mac or your you know, devices and have an artificial band playing along to you. No matter how bad you play, they make you sound better. AI is of value. We want to maximize that value without demonizing it. And a lot of our work is going to be identifying how it can be demonized and find ways to stop that demonizing being successful. If that makes sense, and we've got yeah, reports. We'll definitely link to the reports, uh, the, you know, latest Etsy reports on the subject uh, in the show notes of this. Uh, so we'll we'll definitely have that out there. But yeah, I, I applaud the approach because you definitely have to discuss what's what people are afraid of before you can educate them on 
where yeah. the technology's going, what can be done about it, and that sort of thing. Um, you're right. It's a great, great example about video manipulation. You know, we kind of, we kind of live by that in the entertainment <laughs> business, so we need it. But, but in the yeah. uh, in news and social and political discourse, it could be a huge problem. And uh, yeah. you know, as we've seen, so it's it's it, so there's there's definitely uh, a need for balance and a need for uh, uh, for labeling and a standard approach to what we do when we create these things, even if it's for farcical purposes or whatever, we need to make sure that yeah. so, somebody somewhere, uh, you know, isn't, uh, even unintentionally, uh, you know, fooling people, uh, because yeah. that's, that's, that's the issue. Yeah. We, we also, we want to encourage normal human scores as well. I mean, so we've been satirizing people for decades, hundreds of years. Absolutely. We've been, yeah. um, Livelying people for the purpose of humor for a long, long period of time. Uh, we don't want to stop that. We want to um, continue to live as normal people uh, and live alongside the technology. So that's where a lot of the work we're doing is all about that understanding. Um, huge amount of work on um, even understanding what intelligence means. Because one of the things we found when we started, there is virtually no well understood meaning of intelligence. We've got relative intelligence, we understand. Um, but once you look at the dimension of intelligence and where AI will fit, um, we're getting better at that. We've still got a long way to go. Uh, we also are getting slightly better at our education purpose. We're getting that de-demonization, if I could call it that, of our technology trying to prevent the Luddite scenarios coming true. Um, but we also have to work with the real concerns, you know, the, the, certainly concerns of, of politicians who are terrified of losing an election because of some chatbot. Um, my reaction to that is, well, look at the press, you know, yeah. the normal print press does much the same manipulation uh, right. and people believe in that religiously. Um, so we've got a lot of ground still to cover, uh, but the work we're doing is I think groundbreaking in that we've are the first group really to have tackled this. Um, we're also not afraid to ask difficult questions. Um, often, and the, the great thing of this, we don't know the answers, um, but we're bringing the people together that can start point us to the in the direction of an answer, and we might get to an answer eventually. Um, maybe not my lifetime, but in somebody's lifetime, we'll we'll get an answer. Virtual I think what Scott we need to people worrying about is absolute. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think there's an opportunity there for you, Scott. Though, since you were around before yeah, AI, that's right. You can. Uh, I, I mean, I, I feel like you'll still be clone yourself and continue, <laughs> you'll still be your, here. continue your work. <laughs> yeah, yeah um, I'm looking for artificial, you know, re recreation of life. You know, right. That'll be our. That'll be our next podcast. The. Uh, the uh, out of the virtual world for a minute the the real phil harvey has uh, a sandwich and a coffee to go uh obtain so uh i i've really enjoyed this interview and we are going to leave it there for the purposes of of time and my lunch schedule uh scott cadzo thank you so much for uh, being on the podcast thank you very much thanks for having me